0: WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. This is Radio Catskill. Public radio for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen local.
1: listening to Radio Catskill. Forecast for our area, any remaining snow will be tapering off late this morning. It's not going to get much warmer today. Highs in the upper 30s, mostly cloudy tonight, a few flurries possible, overnight low down to 26. And tomorrow, New Year's Eve, mostly cloudy with a high of 35. Coming up in just a few minutes, we'll be getting into our hour-long special, talking to local farmers. It's called Hard Harvest. First up, we got the latest headlines from NPR. This is Radio Catskill.
2: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Giles Snyder. With Israeli tanks reported to be pushing deeper into central and southern Gaza, the U.N. says conditions are worsening more than a week after the U.N. Security Council called for the unhindered delivery of aid. And the World Health Organization says it's concerned about the growing threat of infectious disease in Gaza, as NPR's Jason DeRose reports.
3: So many people are living in such squalid conditions, packed into makeshift camps, that disease and illness are spreading quickly. According to the World Health Organization, from mid-October to mid-December, nearly 180,000 people in Gaza shelters were suffering from respiratory infections. It also says there are more than 55,000 cases of lice and scabies and more than 5,000 cases of chickenpox. The WHO says people are also experiencing diarrhea, rashes, jaundice, and even meningitis. Meanwhile, UNICEF says it was able to deliver 600,000 vaccines Scenes to Gaza this week. Jason DeRose, NPR News, Tel Aviv.
2: The authorities in western Russia say they've come under a sustained air attack a day after an hours-long Russian barrage across Ukraine that killed at least 30 people, the BBC's Aristo Pico reports.
3: The Russians say they shot down more than 40 drones and rockets, but gave no indication of how many had been launched in the attack that took place overnight. The Ukrainians targeted cities in southwestern Russia and the area around Moscow. The extent of the damage caused is hard to ascertain, but the fact that Russia has acknowledged one death and several injuries and material damage seems to indicate that some targets were hit. Earlier on Friday, a massive Russian bombardment of civilian targets in Ukraine killed 30 people.
2: The Massachusetts Attorney General's office has filed a consumer protection lawsuit against a crypto company that was the subject of an NPR investigation. NPR's Bobby Allen reports a fraudulent company targeted elderly Russian speakers with the promise of quick riches.
4: Authorities in Massachusetts are seeking monetary damages and to have the assets frozen of a company called Spirebit. In June, an NPR investigation revealed that Spirebit It lured elderly Russian-speaking victims as customers on a fake crypto trading platform. The company used forged bank documents, charts showing phony earnings, and its website featured photos purporting to show its executives, but the images were stock photos. NPR reported on one man in Los Angeles who lost his life savings of $340,000, and another victim in Massachusetts was also defrauded out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. The total number of victims is yet to be determined. According to the Federal Trade Commission, the scheme comes amid a 900% increase in online crypto scams since the pandemic. Bobby Allen, NPR News.
2: Prosecutors say there's no need for a second trial of FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. SBF was convicted last month of fraud and money- Laundering, prosecutors say there's a strong public interest in resolving the case. This is NPR. With New Year's Eve approaching, New York City Mayor Eric Adams says the city knows how to safeguard big events like the huge party in Times Square.
5: We will be out here with our canines, our horsebacks, our drones, our helicopters, our boats. The
2: full complement of our public safety apparatus will be on display. Adams speaking at a security briefing after the event organizers tested the New Year confetti release yesterday, an estimated 3,000 pounds of paper will be trucked into Manhattan to ring in the new year. Police say there are no specific threats to the Times Square celebration, but thousands of uniformed police officers and a large number of those in plain clothes will be on duty. The aviation industry has seen its share of turbulence this year. Unruly passengers tangled with flight attendants and their fellow passengers more often than they did during the coronavirus pandemic, as Imperial Rose reports.
1: The FAA says there were close to 2,000 reported incidents involving unruly passengers, in 2023. That's a sharp decline from the height of the pandemic when mask mandates fueled many of those clashes. Now those mandates are gone, but these incidents are still happening far more than before. Sarah Nelson is the president of the Association of Flight Attendants Union. She says crowding is a big reason why.
6: Today we're seeing that every single seat is filled up. The more you have humanity packed into one uh, location, the more likely it is that there's conflict.
1: Airlines are flying fewer flights than they were before the pandemic, but with a similar number of passengers.
2: Joel Rose, NPR News Washington. And I'm Joel Snyder. You're listening to NPR
7: News from Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Joyce Foundation, committed to advancing racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region. Learn more at joycefdn.org
0: DamascusCitizens.org. WJFF Jeffersonville W233AH Monticello Farming is not easy. Farmers' lives are full of hard work and long hours. And most days, they have to deal with problems that pop up out of nowhere.
1: Problems like the weather, the age-old friend and nemesis of farmers, which is why some farmers say a farmer makes plans and God laughs.
0: And it seems like the weather is only getting more unpredictable, more erratic, and more destructive. And farming is getting harder. I'm Rosie Starr, host of Farming Country. And I'm Jason Dole, host of The Local Edition. Members of the general non-farming public may not realize how difficult farming is in general, but this year it seems like local farmers had a harder time than usual,
1: and mostly because of the weather. So we sat down with local farmers from upstate New York and northeast Pennsylvania to talk to them about the year that they had and the weather challenges they faced. This hour, we bring you their stories. Welcome to Hard
0: Harvest, a special presentation from Radio Catskill.
8: Farmers are at the mercy of the weather, pure and simple.
9: Whether it's rain or severe wind, tornadoes, thunderstorms, or drought. It was probably one of the strangest seasons we've ever seen. We had
4: days where it was not ideal to work how thick the smoke was.
8: And God only knows what's in the smoke, I don't know. And horses, they don't have masks.
9: That was so disturbing because I'm thinking, well, it's all landing on the grass. The horses are going to be eating all the pollutants in it.
3: No precipitation from March until 4th of July. And then when it opened up, it rained till pretty much last week.
8: Weekend after weekend of rainy weather in September into October. There was so much rain, it was impossible to get that hay in
4: and there was marble-sized hail dropping out of the sky. And I was
6: trapped in the steel building. Like, you could not walk outside. Every shed was gone. Every fence was down. 500 trees completely demolished.
3: 3,000 pounds of carrots is a good year for us. This year, maybe 300. Most of them rotted in the ground. It's just a shame.
7: Having that frost and then having a lot of the rain did diminish what we brought in this year on our blueberries. Out of all our
10: apple trees, two or three produced a little bit of fruit and the rest had no fruit due to that frost.
5: It was more than a frost. It was two days of freeze and uh, it wiped our crop completely out.
6: There's no turning back. The farm is totally changed forever.
1: Before we get into the conversations, it may help to know the overall story of the weather in 2023, because not only was it unpredictable... But it was totally inconsistent.
0: That's right. First, the growing season started with a drought coming out of a dry winter. Then, there was severe weather resulting in tornadoes. Unseasonably warm weather in the early spring led to a jump start on fruit bearing trees, followed by a killing frost with a two day freeze in mid
1: May. And after that, the region was blanketed by smoke from Canadian wildfires all through the late spring and into the early summer.
0: Severe heat in July was followed by an unseasonably cool August, then constant rain throughout the summer and into the fall. What a year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was some hail in there, too, both in the spring and in the summer. Uh, But first off, we're going to start talking about that snap freeze and the toll that it took on fruit production from individual growers to large businesses that depend on their fruit trees.
0: Here's Charlie, a resident of Damascus, Pennsylvania.
10: I have a a 50-year-old peach tree that every other year she produces a bundle of fruit, and this should have been her year on. And we got maybe two pieces of fruit on that tree, and I should have had two bushels. And out of all our apple trees, two or three produce a little bit of fruit, and the rest had no fruit due to that frost. So it was really devastating. I did know by the weather reports that it was going to dip down really cold, and I was hoping it wasn't going to affect the buds, but I guess the process where our trees were probably just budding out, and and they got affected. And and I know in our area a lot of other orchards were devastated. And you know, I do it as a family, you know, yard as opposed to a commercial enterprise, and and that must have been devastating for them. Kaylin
0: Jocelyn owns and operates Lucky Dog Organic Farm in Hamden, New York.
7: I only have seven peach trees. And for the pear trees, we didn't have any fruit. The blossoms all fell off and and died. However, I think next season we can mitigate that by really paying closer attention to the weather and putting up blankets or finding some way to wrap these so that we don't lose it. It's not a lot. For the blueberries, we lost about a third of the crop. We were actually pretty lucky compared to other farmers in the area. That frost had a big impact on a lot of the fruit producers in the area, which we don't specialize in. But that was the first notable thing for the season. And we carried on as if it were a a typical year. And we had changed some of our seeding plans and our greenhouse planting plans, trying to be more efficient with how we were using potting soil and things like that.
0: Here is Eugene Thalman from Sprouting Dreams Farm in Liberty, New York. We had some really cold nights
4: toward the end of May. So not only did we have really hot days, but we also had really cold nights too. And those swings are the most dangerous aspect of farming. Because when you have like a stable climate, you can mitigate challenges in one direction better. Whereas when you have those extreme swings you're dealing with, okay, you can keep a row cover down, which is going to protect from the one extreme, which is cold. But now when you have the other extreme, which is hot, now any of that row cover that you haven't gotten off in a timely matter will cook the plant. On top of that too, generally in May, what works in our favor is those regular rains, meaning that you don't have to be irrigating extensively and things can take It was just more challenging. I mean, you had to irrigate and you had to irrigate extensively. And it was amazing. Like you would, you could irrigate all night long and the soil would still be dry because you weren't getting those inches of rain on a consistent basis that the rains would normally provide. Anything that you did irrigate would just evaporate out quickly.
0: Seminary Hill Orchard and Cidery is located on a hill above Calicoon, New York. Bill Hess is the Director of Orchard Facilities at Seminary Hill. He's responsible for all of the trees and fruit that they grow. Heading into 2023, he was expecting it would be a particularly abundant year.
5: We did. We looked for a great crop. The signs were great. We had great pollination. Buds, we had a good bud set. more we were pruning, we could tell. Good pollination again. Then we had two weeks of really beautiful weather. Most of all our fruit trees had all blossomed, nice warm weather. We started to set fruit, and then we got the freeze. It was more than a frost. It was two days of freeze, and uh, it wiped our crop completely out.
0: Was that May 17th? Yeah,
5: 17th and 18th. There was two days. Temperatures dropped down. The lowest I saw was 26, but there was a big wind chill with it. So two nights and days of freeze with the wind chills probably in the teens. Actually made the apples drop. We had fruit set and they just dropped from the trees We had a couple of real late varieties that produced some apples, but of the 60 varieties there was apples on three and Only two of them had any kind of a crop at all and they were the real late bloomers Everything was looking like it was gonna be a fantastic year and then we just were in a matter of two days just annihilated
0: how did you deal with this?
5: <laughs> there's nothing you can really do except there's nothing you can really do. Mother Nature's in charge. So you can try to do what you can as far as tree nutrition, all that going in. Prepare your soils. We tried to develop uh, nesting habitat, mason bees for the pollinators that that all helps the harvest but you're really down to mother nature and when you get the freeze like that and it's this elevation i've got a tree at home it's a northern spy it's a real old heirloom tree made for the northern climate i had a good crop on that but that was it of the four varieties i have home that's the only one I had that poor fruit
0: do you think it was literally what side of the mountain you were on
5: that had a lot to do with it, because if, even if you look downtown, we've got some trees downtown that had a crop. If they were on a sheltered or the south side of a building, it definitely helped. Everybody thinks it's a frost. It wasn't a frost. It was a freeze. It was down in the 20s with wind. Frost only occurs on still nights, still calm nights, and it's a frost. And then a lot of times you'll get... Maybe the top scaffold of your trees will freeze. Underneath they're protected somewhat, and you'll get fruit there. But this was actual freeze. We had clusters of apples set, four or five to a cluster. looked like it was going to be great. And then it just dropped the fruit. And it's this, like, uh, altitude and area, too, here, Damascus. We have no real large body of water to moderate temps like they do in the Finger Lakes and Western New York and Hudson Valley. So it makes it a little more difficult here. The Delaware River is south of us, and the wind came from the north, so it uh, really didn't help us at all. But yeah, definitely on the sheltered side of a building, or southern exposure was sheltering. Two varieties we did have are at the bottom of our orchard in a high density planting that's a little more sheltered, too, that probably helped.
0: What are you hearing from other farmers?
5: Well, locally here, we've talked to another gentleman, Damascus, same thing. He he had very few, just a couple of trees. The later varieties had fruit. And then it's scattered. Right in here, n- n- almost nothing. You might see a tree, like I said, it, mine at home, a northern spy. There was one place out in the beech woods, there's a few old apple trees. They had quite a lot of fruit. I think they're probably spies too, but... It all depended where you were, up through New England, New York, like this altitude of New York, with no moderating temps of water temps or anything like that to raise the temperature up. It was probably a few degrees. They probably could have taken like 28, 29, but having that, that cold in the wind chill, there's definitely a wind chill factor to it. And it was, it was cold.
6: Hi, I'm Stuart Madney. I'm director of Ciders. I make, market, and sell cider here. Initially, I was very concerned that there wouldn't be pretty much any apples in New York. People in the Finger Lakes or in the Hudson Valley were both protected by, I think, the the geography and, you know, the heat being held in the bodies of water. It was spotty, just depending on the flukes of wind flow and where a lake was or whatever. So we've been able to buy fruit this year, but of course the biggest disappointment for me was we had this gorgeous bloom, 54 varieties of cider apples and seven of peri pears. I thought, oh, this might be the first year I get to make peri. So that was I was excited about that, but I was really excited about what we would learn about all these varieties and especially which ones are a really good match for our spot right here on Earth and being able to start to determine which ones we might want to top work over to graft over to become the really great matches for our spot. And instead, we didn't really get to learn anything about that this year. So that was a big disappointment.
0: Now, you mentioned that you were able to purchase apples. Were they different species from the ones that you normally make cider? How has it affected now your presentation to your clients, your visitors that come here for cider sampling?
6: I'll only buy varieties that are in the orchard. There are ones that will grow. We'll be as close to making estate cider as we can be, and our orchards are young, so we're still buying some fruit in any event. But we're obviously buying a lot more this year. New York has a great cider culture, and a lot of great growers, and uh, and also has like more cider tasting rooms than any other state. Cider is a really big deal in New York. New York's a great place to grow a lot of cider apples. We're very proud of the apples we grow, and we put a lot of care into it. So in that way, we're, we're very disappointed to have to buy apples. But I don't mean to say that like there aren't other great apple, cider apple growers in New York, because there certainly are.
1: According to the New York Farm Bureau, apples are the number one produce item grown in the state for human consumption. And New York is the nation's third-largest grower of grapes, with a 2022 economic impact study by the National Association of American Wineries reporting that the state has about 470 wineries and generates nearly $15 billion of economic activity in the state. So fruit is big business. But even when farmers experience massive crop failure, they still have the same bills to pay. They just can't recoup their losses. In July, the U.S. Department of Agriculture approved a federal agriculture disaster designation for 31 New York counties to help apple, grape, peach, and berry growers who suffered massive crop loss due to the freeze.
0: Now, from ice, our story moves to fire. By the first week of June, more than 130 wildfires were burning in Quebec
1: and Ontario. Smoke from those Canadian provinces just north of New York state eventually blanketed our entire listening area.
0: The reduced air quality impacted everyone who works outdoors, including farmers. Eugene Thalman owns and operates Sprouting Dreams Farm in Liberty, New York.
4: So the wildfires were blocking out the sun and at that time in the growing season, more sun with those 18-hour days is really critical for getting the plants to really take off and get to fruiting production. We're talking like tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, things like that. So when you had that lack of light, especially on those really long days, that was impacting your plant growth and your overall product yield.
1: When when this first started happening, can you give me your reaction if you remember like what you thought when the first smoke really started coming into our area and did you realize right away that it was going to impact your growing?
4: Well, it was the first time I've experienced wildfires like that. I remember two things that really stood out to me, which was, well, I was nicknaming it the Red Son of Death, (laughs) which, you know, may not be the best name, but it was telling of the time.
0: Jennifer and Leroy Canfield have a horse farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania, where they grow a lot of hay for their horses that they keep.
8: That smoke hung around this whole valley for a long time. And um, gosh, you didn't have much choice but to go out and do your daily stuff. And along with COVID, we were wearing masks anyway. We had to put up with that and the horses and any animal. They don't have masks, so they're constantly breathing in smoke, and God only knows what's in the smoke, I don't know. But um, that was not pleasant, not pleasant at all.
0: Jennifer, comment on the Canadian fire smoke.
9: My biggest worry was that the smoke was also carrying pollutants with it. That was so disturbing because I'm thinking, well, it's all landing on the grass the horses are going to be eating all this with all the pollutants in it. And that and it went on and on and on. And I again, I'd bring them in in the daytime so they were out less, which was more work for us because we have more stalls to clean or it takes longer to clean the stalls. And we were feeding, we were down to the end of whatever hay we had left from the previous year. So when they're in, you know, they can't be in all day and, th- and then not have anything to eat, and hay would be ideal. So that was very touch-and-go. But the pollutants were the scariest part, I think.
4: The other part, too, is, you know, you would get fatigued. We had days where it was just not ideal to work how thick the smoke was. And we work outside, so you were off those days you know you you could not perform at maximum capabilities with that
1: and you know it was really concerning and then towards the end of the growing season there was like it was like raining every weekend
4: yeah august was cold like normally august we would see temperatures in those late high 80s low 90s and you know the one thing that i is really telling is if we get 100 degrees days up in the Catskills. Like that's not very common for us here. We're generally colder than other parts of New York State. But normally it's late July to mid-August. Those are those hottest days of the summer. And this year we had those hot days in May and June, 90 plus days. But then August was 75, not very sunny, And cloudy. And you know, I'm not a meteorologist, but I would wonder how those wildfires added, um, you know, particulate to the atmosphere and seeded clouds, which then affected how our August turned out.
0: That was Eugene Thalman of Sprouting Dreams Farm in Liberty, New York, taking us right up to the next portion of our program the wet weather.
1: Before we get into that topic, though, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, local farmers talk about rain, mud, hail, and tornadoes. Stay with us. This is Hard Harvest.
3: Support for Radio Catskill comes from Farm Arts Collective, located on Willow West Organic Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania. Farm Arts Collective's programs intersect the practices of farming, performance, food, and ecology. FarmArtsCollective.org From the Community Foundation of Orange and Sullivan, a publicly supported philanthropic institution, CFOSNY.org, and from listeners like you who donate at WJFFradio.org. <laughs>
0: Hey everyone, I'm Donna Fellenberg, host of Catskill Character. I wanted to take a minute to wish all of you a happy holiday season and to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in all year long. Let's have a peaceful holiday and hope for good things to come in the new year, in your life and here at WJFF.
6: Climate change dominated the headlines this year.
0: Wildfires stoked by Hurricane Dora spread across the island of
1: Maui. A dangerously large plume of moisture known as an atmospheric river slams into the region.
0: But
8: there
6: are also stories of hope. This
8: hotline Three, helps people figure out how to save important number, and objects and buildings after disasters.
6: Invest in the future of climate change coverage on NPR and this station. Here's how. Make your tax-deductible year-end
0: donation now at wjffradio.org. Welcome back to Hard Harvest, a special presentation from Radio Catskill. I'm Rosie Starr. And I'm Jason Dole. We're talking to local farmers about the year they had, especially in face of unpredictable weather.
1: And one of the biggest weather stories for local farmers in 2023 was an overabundance of rain in the second half of the year.
3: My name is Brian Fox. This is my wife, Rachel, and our farm is Salem Mountain Farm. We're in South Canaan, Pennsylvania. This is our 22nd year farming. We do a lot of storage crops for the winter, mostly potatoes, onions, carrots, cabbages. We often have a lot of radishes and beets. However, not this year so much. Uh, Weather was kind of rough, but um, we're happy with what we have.
0: Can you elaborate a little bit on the challenges you had with the
8: weather?
3: Yeah, uh, it was uh, probably one of the strangest seasons we've ever seen. It was pretty much no precipitation from March until right about 4th of July. And then when it opened up, it uh, it rained from early July until pretty much last week. Probably averaging between 9 and 10 inches a a month, which is just really challenging as a small farm. In northeastern PA with our poorly drained soil, we have a pretty heavy clay. We do a lot of raised beds. We try to do some subsoiling, diverting water. But still, even with doing all of that, very challenging. In a normal year, we might harvest around, say, 3,000 pounds of carrots is a good year for us. This year, maybe 300. Uh, Most of them rotted in the ground. It's just a shame.
0: You've mentioned radishes before and the lack of them. Is this why there was a lack?
3: The lack of radishes, we missed the uh, planting window for them. We did get them planted, but it was just too late, and they just never got to a size that we needed. So, yeah, it was kind of a bummer. Usually, you know, we'll do a couple thousand pounds of those. And, you know, it's surprising, like winter storage radishes, like the watermelon radish, there's a purple daikon, a green daikon, a red daikon, and a white daikon. But after later in the fall, as the nights get cold, days stay cold, they lose a lot of radish heat, and they get quite sweet. We're uh, kind of bummed not to have them this year.